Hi, everybody. Welcome to another Prog Report interview podcast. You know, last summer, Devin Townsend celebrated the release of his classic Ocean Machine album by performing the album in its entirety. The concerts were recorded and are now coming out on July 6th as a CD, DVD, and Blu-ray. There's a lot of other news involved in the Devin Townsend world, so we're really happy to have him back. I'd like to welcome Mr. Devin Townsend. How you doing, buddy? All right, so you got time for one more? It's been a long day? No problem. So I just want to get a feel of what have you been up to lately, I guess. You're, you're on some downtime? Are you working on music? Are you getting ready for something? What's going on? Well, there's never really downtime. I think, um, you know, my life is so uh, full of things to do, like between family and work and, and uh, emails and whatever, that uh, it just shifts your priorities. And uh, currently my priorities are shifted to basically trying to plan the next decade of my life musically. And so I've been writing a huge amount and collaborating with like a bunch of really interesting and uh, unlikely characters and just been trying to put together all these sort of creative uh, uh, impulses that I find myself with now and seeing if I can form some sort of um, really uh, clear objective for it. And so currently where I'm at with that is I demoed about 40 songs. Wow. Yeah, and it's in four or five different directions. And unfortunately, up to this point, there's been no uh, solid um, identity that is, has taken place. And usually in the past, what happens is by this point, I'm able to say, okay, well, this one or two songs that I've, I've come up with here really tick all the boxes and clearly identify uh, subconsciously where I think I've been at. And this time, I've just write, I, every day I write up, I, I, every day I wake up, I write something different. And that has been great for productivity, but not so great in terms of saying like, okay, this is where I'm at right now. This is where I'm at. So my days are full of writing. And I think ultimately, what may end up sort of ironically coming to light is the fact that this period is all of those things together, as opposed to maybe the, you know, the DTP. And in the past, it was very compartmentalized. You know, there's addicted and deconstruction and they had an identity and it was all good. Now I wonder if what I'm searching for doesn't actually exist. And really where I'm at is just all those things at once. Yeah. Well, this is a weird timing as well with a few things that are, uh, I guess you get the box set and the live album that are sort of looking back at the previous period. Yeah. And so yeah, is, and that, is that sort of a, a line in the, in the sand there that you drew? Like, all right, let's put all this stuff out while I'm starting this new chapter, sort of. Yeah, but it was unintentional. I think it's a happy accident to be able to have these things to kind of keep the float, the boat floating while I'm I'm processing the changes that have occurred over the past 10 years and entering middle age and you know kids growing into teens and and all these things that that require a lot of analysis in order to be able to really wrap your head around so the plovdiv show which acted as a retrospective and a very literal one uh in terms of like my career by by having ocean machine as the focus and um and then the box sets as well it's it's writing the uh the liner notes and all these things that come along with it it forces you to participate in it in a way right and i would suggest that between all those things that have that are uh 
like that, like the box set and Plovdiv and the the um, songs that we had to learn from the past. And it all helps me sort of quantify what's going on with my current work in a very practical way. So happy accidents, man. Yeah, so recapping just to, you have the uh, Eras, it's called, which is the vinyl box set that's already out. Yeah. And that has uh, uh, covers four albums, uh, right? Key, Addicted, Deconstruction, and Ghost. And you have, is there, there's plans for another box set coming out soon? Is that already planned? Yeah, there's several. I think the next one is um, Infinity, Terria, uh, Synchestra, and Physicist. Um, and I think that for me, like being able to include albums that um, are, they share a certain uh, goal, like, um, you know, the albums that, that are on the DTP, the RS1 is very much about that four record process I did, which was a very, a very um, solid identity in my, in my, uh, in the Canada work that I've done. And then this new one, it seems to be that the theme is a, about elemental sorts of things like nature or, or air or the infinite or, or things that are uh, a theme that kind of ties them all together. And then I think when it comes to the next one that we would do after with Accelerated Evolution or Ziltoid or whatever, that, that shares something as well. And, you yeah. know, I've done so much work, man, that... It's funny to look back, right? I mean, how many albums and, and songs and productions? It's pretty amazing. It's huge. Yeah. It's huge. And, but, but with that as well, it's, it's good for me to be able to do these sort of retrospective things as well because you can learn from your mistakes, for one, and you can learn um, by putting together what you'd like to do better in terms of sonics or, or where you hit the mark and where you miss the mark. And, and it all benefits me. And what I'm doing right now. Yeah. And then, of course, there's the Ocean Machine Live, which you talked about, uh, the CD DVD set, which is, uh, I guess, July 6th in a couple of weeks from, from when we're talking. I mean, that, yep. the audio quality of that is just tremendous with Thank the, you. Uh, the orchestra and the, and the whole thing. How long did it take to even sound check that and get that to, to be to where you felt comfortable that it's all going to, uh, the levels and everything's going to sound the way it's supposed to? Oh, it was a nightmare from the beginning. <laughs> And and up to the very end, it was a nightmare. I mean, you have to be really um, patient with work like that, uh, just for the length of the show alone. Yeah. You know, like the Plovdiv um, DVD, it's it's three hours worth of material, and any one of those songs, the intricacies that that sort of make or break it, are so many that mixing that project live for Stanley was just a nightmare for him. And then mixing it in the studio for me is a nightmare for me as well. But to be fair, everything's a nightmare. <laughs> All this stuff is a nightmare to mix. So you can't really define the project by that. Right. But it's certainly an aspect of it. Yeah. Have you, have you had a chance to sit back and, and watch the whole the whole concert? Uh, you know, No. Would, would you or do you not like oh, yeah. to do that? Well, I mean... Yeah, no, I'd, I'd love to do that. I mean, it's, but I mean, I wouldn't need to do it more than, um, more than uh, one, right? For those that don't know, I guess the Devin Townsend project a few months ago, you decided to end that, and uh, like we talked about, you're going in a in whatever new direction you end up going to. Um, have you had more time to get comfortable with 
the decision. I know it's something that you had struggled with for a long time. And um, I only struggled with it because of the personal implications. Yeah. You know, like I hate uh, hurting people that I care about. And everybody in the band obviously would have been happy for it to continue indefinitely. But um, I'm more happy with that decision than, than I've been with a decision I've made in, in many, many years. It was exactly what I needed to do. It's, it was such a good situation in a lot of ways, but you know, every band kind of has a shelf life in my estimation. And a lot of how I write is, is sort of taking inspiration from, from the people and the things that I find myself surrounded by. And with DTP, you end up, we toured so much and it was the same people over and over and over and over and over again that the social ramifications of being around those people I mean it 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 degrades over time for sure but it also for me as a writer it ends up being something that you're writing about a vacuum in a way it's you're writing about being in a band and in line with everything that I've done in the past that has been um you know, of, of, significant, of significance to the audience, it's not because I was writing about just being a musician. It was about everything that was surrounding my life. Everything that was in my path on the way to the next age is what the music ends up being inspired by. And I just found that with DTP, by the end, I was, all I had as a frame of reference was being on planes and playing shows, being on planes and playing shows. And I just, I just kind of ran out of interest in it if I'm being honest. And now I'm in a situation where um, there's a whole new cast of characters in my world. Right. Whether or not we're in bands together, it's just new people as a result of having made this decision. And those people are inspiring me to do things that I'm really happy with. So, yeah, it was a, it was a great decision for me. <laughs> Unfortunately, because, yeah, breaking up a band with people you care about sucks. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, has the industry changing with streaming and, and all that kind of stuff, did, how much has that affected how you view your career and what to do? Not as much as one would expect, I don't think. I mean, I see some people get online, artists, and they just rage about Spotify or downloading a few years back or whatever, right? But, I mean, ultimately, I'm paying my bills still. And right. I don't have aspirations for more than I've got in a way. You know, I don't want a different house or a different car or more of this and that and the other thing. I mean, like any of us, it would be nice. The dream is to get to the point where you were financially uh, secure enough that you just didn't have to think about money anymore, that you didn't have to say no to the guacamole when you go out for a burrito, right? But it's like – but ultimately, that's not a huge motivation for me. Staying afloat financially is a huge motivation for me with family and everything. Yeah. But, you know, I don't aspire to be the CEO of Kraft or some massive conglomerate that just keeps growing and growing and growing and growing. I just want to be able to do what I do comfortably and accurately. And um, the fact that I'm able to do that now, uh, it, Spotify and downloading and all those things, it's just another way that people can hear it. And I've had to diversify and find different ways to make income, be it through, you know, doing these online academies or, or selling T-shirts or, or box sets or anything like this. But 
I also think I put enough energy into those things that they're worth it for people. It's not like we're just trying to soak people. You know, here's City by strapping in lad again, except now it's got a different cover. Right, you know, right, I mean, right. Things like, things like that. <laughs> never, of, be, never before in this order. Right. <laughs> and I mean, even, and I mean, the label, bless them, sometimes that just, it's like so second nature to labels now because they're like, well, we got to stay afloat and that's a thing. You know, we're going to do a lyric video and then we'll release it in a different order, like you say, right? Yeah. But luckily the label that I'm with and the management that I'm with, I can always say to them, let me help. Let me add something to this, like a new song or liner notes or a remaster or something about it that if I was into it as a, a listener who purchases stuff, it would be something that would be worth it for me. And and I think the audience that I have really, uh, really respects that, I think. Sure. And so they keep um, they keep purchasing it, and as a result of that, I'm able to stay afloat, even in this new sort of industry. No, I mean your audience is rabid and and loyal and and just die hard. I mean you have to have seen that over the years. It, it's um, with anything that you put out online, you can see the comments. Everybody gets really excited. Has that is social media kind of helped? Do you enjoy that? Do you enjoy being on Twitter and talking to them? Or? Yeah. Yeah, I do, because I think in a sense, something that I've never been interested in is like the rock star thing. And I remember, even now, you'll meet people in bands that are maybe even smaller than the band that I'm in, yet they have this sort of internal drive to be viewed as a star. And it's always been super confusing to me. It's like, I think the idea of... um, being a star is akin to a mental illness in a lot of ways where you are so in need of people to think of you as being um, superior to other people that you play into it you know sunglasses inside at night and you know these are my texts and this is my fans and I just see it's it's so fucking stupid to me so I think (laughs) social media to me has been really good because I think you can be really open with people and they're going to get a pretty good idea of where you're at as a person. And, and, you know, I'm a mess like everybody else. And the fact that, um, the work that I've done has put me in a position to be fortunate enough to do this doesn't relegate me to a different social class or a different social standing. It's, and I think it's really good because the truth comes out with social media as well. I think you can tell pretty quick if somebody's a douche, right? Yeah. And although, yeah, dude. And I mean, although I've had douchey moments, as we all have, I think overwhelmingly I'm a I'm a fairly solid dude. And I think that people being able to to communicate with me has has um, helped me uh, not only to establish a fan base just by it being nothing special in a way, but also it's helped me on the creative side as well to sort of get a real practical gauge from people as to what they like and don't like about about what we do and I think I can summarize what it is that people like about what I do in that I don't feel like I'm lying to them no matter what I do I don't feel like I li- I'm lying to people and uh, I agree yeah you know it's it's interesting as well like specifically when I write something that's commercial because every now and then I've, I've like throughout my career I've written commercial songs like even starting back with Ocean Machine with Life and whatever and uh, it was never really um, 
me saying, well, I want to break through to the mainstream. It's just that when I was a kid, I fucking loved Def Leppard. You know what I mean? I just loved it. And I loved that big size and all that stuff that came with it. So every now and then I'll write a song like that. And I remember even when Epicloud came out, there was mumblings about like, okay, well, you're doing things uh, for commercial success. But Epicloud sold the same as every other record I've done. You know what I mean? It's like whether or not I'm doing something about – you know, farting aliens, drinking coffee, or something that sounds like Def Leppard with a different kick drum. It's it's the same audience that I'm going for, and I think in both those scenarios, it was clear to the people that listen I'm doing that because that's what I wanted to do, right? So, hooray! Hey, they get you. Um, I don't know if you got it or saw it, but I sent you a copy of the book that you helped me with i interviewed you for oh yeah about i did, a year I did ago. get that thank you that was great all right cool great i'm glad that that uh I, yeah well I, done man that's a huge amount of work holy shit <laughs> it yeah. was it was a lot of work it was about two years but it was uh you know a blast to do like like anything you've done you just immerse totally. yourself in it and it was really good man and thank you for the prominent position on the cover as well that's fucking awesome man yeah like, no absolutely thank you so much for for helping and you i mean you gave me a long time on those calls and interviews and i appreciate that and, but you know what's uh, really funny about it isn't it weird that you spend all this time into making something that is like you obsess about dotting the i's and crossing the t's and yeah. you know is this font and this working or does this part here you know i mean it's like it's your world and then it comes out and it's right and then life goes on that's right. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? It's like, I feel the same way with my music. I'm thinking to myself, like, this is the one. It has to be perfect. This is everything about me is this. And if that um, snare drum doesn't have the right crack to it, then, you know, sky is falling, chicken little, and all this shit. And then you finally are able to wrestle it to the ground, and it comes out, and the order's great. And, it, you know, you listen to it in the right frame of mind and it, it's emotionally super poignant and summarizes this particular period of your life and then you do another one yeah <laughs> but I mean, you know what's funny about the book too is that i put the cover out it's online and everybody sees it and inevitably there all the comments were well why did he only put epic cloud from devin townsend a lot of people said he should have put ocean machine which was va- great validation so i was able to say well i did so there. <laughs> well thank you i mean I think one of the biggest problems in society right now is is the idea that uh, it's very easy to, to think of people as stupid. You know, it's like if they if they if they don't agree with something that you think should be clear, the knee jerk in society right now is it's like, well, your first course of action is just to think everybody's a fucking idiot. <laughs> Everybody isn't a fucking idiot. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's like it's <laughs> weird. I'm guilty of it as well of like normalizing this this psychology of just being like, oh well, fucking idiot then. Clearly, <laughs> like he doesn't agree with me on something that seems so perfectly clear to me. Well, the problem is not that there's a lack of communication or information, but this guy is a fucking idiot, and his mother dresses him funny. You know what I mean? It's like I don't know, man. And it's it's um that's the most uh, disappointing part of it all, you know, specifically politically where everything is just so tense right now. Well, things it's, are definitely crazy over here. That's for sure. But yeah, but I mean, it's like, I know people on both sides of the fence, man, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, and I'm really close to people on both sides of the fence and, and neither side is 
hundred percent anything. It's there's just so much gray about it all. On any look at drug issues or gun control or or education or health or anything, man. It's like the biggest thing that I am concerned about is that everybody's opinions in their minds are unequivocal. Like there's no discussing this. And if you don't believe this, you're a fucking idiot. And that's on both sides of the fence, man. And it's like, it's so disturbing because what seems to be happening is like this sort of idea that your uh, ability to just offend people is, you know, it's, it's okay just to be like, you're an idiot and that's it. And then as soon as you do that, it galvanizes everybody's resolve that we're not talking about anything. You know what I yeah. mean? And it's like, it sucks, man, because it's it, none of these things are simple issues to fix, right? No, they're not. And uh, it's very divisive and ugly a lot of the time. And uh, But I guess that's why we need more good music. Too. Well, you see, this is it. Even as an artist, it's, it's like a minefield because you're like, well, you don't want to say anything. But then again, you don't want to say nothing. Right. You know? And I think that really the the uh, responsibility of artists are to educate themselves i think well you know some uh, artists get away with it right so bruce springsteen for example can come out and and make a defined critical point that's his own perhaps and is not uh argued against really but do you think that let's say if you came out and did a political album now about one side would you be embraced by that or is that scary well i don't know if scary is the right word but but unwise might be the right word and, and i've been analyzing it within myself to say okay well is it unwise because you just don't want to offend anybody or is it unwise because um there are no absolutes to this right and i think that really when i when i look at my role I think it's fine for me to have opinions, of course. I mean, that's just part of being a, a rational human being. However, it's also important for me to recognize what my value is to this situation. And what I can bring to this is I can work on myself, speak about how I feel, and then hopefully provide a soundtrack to people that can help in these times, right? And that doesn't mean that my opinions need to be suppressed it doesn't need, mean that my opinions are of no value it just means that no one wants to be told shit <laughs> and i think that when i open up the timeline and i just see people angrily and like vacuously stating angry opinions it just galvanizes it even more you know the people that don't want to be told what to do are on both sides and neither of them want to listen therefore a political position for me works a lot more efficiently if I'm able to do the legwork on my own front and then try to make music that represents me growing, changing, and learning to be empathetic and compassionate in an environment that that is viewed as a weakness. Because if I have any statement that I think um, I'd like to stand on a soapbox and be able to proclaim is, Look, I don't know enough about any of this stuff. No one does, really. Right. It's very easy to say that's wrong and this is right and that's wrong and this is right, depending on your biases or whatever. 
But the one thing that I think is unequivocal is that the lack of a support network for people to really cultivate compassion for each other and to and to cultivate empathy for other points of views that might be fundamentally opposed to what you believe. I think that is worth standing up for because I think there's a re that's a real practical way to help and to make music that um, underlines that it doesn't piss fuel on the fire as much as it's just like well here's here's what I'm doing for myself so I can be more empathetic to, to things that I do or don't understand or to be able to say absolutely I don't stand for this or absolutely I do stand for this I mean that's the role as an artist that I would take politically is 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 making something that's based on how do we how do we turn the tides of um, refusing to communicate with each other by making music that's rooted in empathy, right? Hey, I think that's a great uh, way to look at it. Hey, I'll like I'll let you go there, man. That was really cool to get your point of view on all that stuff, and and I appreciate your thoughts on that, and. Uh, can't wait for some more music and what comes next. And I'm sure it'll be great as always. Thank you, brother. And take it easy, man. And thanks for the book. And um, I will talk to you very soon. All right, man. Take it easy. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks to Devin for the interview. Don't forget, Ocean Machine Live and Plovdiv comes out July 6th, available everywhere. We're going to play a track from that. This is Regulator. For upcoming news and interviews, please check theprogreport.com. Follow us on Facebook, at theprogreport on Twitter. You can download the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Podbean, and also on YouTube. Thanks.